May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were here last week, you heard my colleague, Reverend Brandon, preach on the letter to the Hebrews, which we heard again this morning. Reverend Brandon was using the passage to talk about how we can face death with a sure and certain hope through faith. He drew out that repetition of the words throughout this passage, by faith, by faith, by faith. And today we get the continuation of that same section of the letter. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. The writer goes on in dramatic and elegant form, outlining the stories of our ancestors who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched raging fire. As the names and circumstances of our biblical heroes is told, we may find ourselves buoyed with confidence at their faith. Our chests puff up and we stand just a little bit taller as we catch even a passing glimpse of their courage. Yes, through faith, by faith, anything is possible. But then the the letter goes on, and it starts to take a little bit of a turn, and the outcome of faith starts to be a little bit more complicated. Yes, by faith, some passed through the Red Sea, and by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. But for others, the outcome of faith was simply a courageous endurance of struggle. Others were tortured the writer to the Hebrews said. They suffered mocking and flogging. They were sawn in two, stoned to death, killed by the sword. They wandered in mountains and deserts, in caves and in holes in the ground. See, this is not what I expected the outcome of faith to be. That's not where I thought this was leading. I thought and I hoped that faith in God would ensure some kind of success. And if we're not going to have success, then at least we might have a little bit of protection. See, there's this sneaky belief we have that when we sign up for faith, something good is going to come of it, that we're going to get something for this effort. In its most dramatic form, this kind of belief is known as the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. It's been around in some form since the beginning. We look at the book of Job for instances of how people struggle to make sense of the terrible things that happen to them. But a particularly American form of this theology arose in the 19th century and in many ways is thriving more than it ever has. One of my American Baptist colleagues, the Reverend Stacy Simpson Duke, describes it this way. 
the central claim of the prosperity gospel is that God rewards faith, often through physical or financial well-being. It's a theology of success, a theology of control. It teaches that we can control the bad things that happen to us simply by thinking and praying better. And on the flip side, that we can call into existence those good things which we deserve through our thoughts and our prayers. In short, it tells us that our faith is a ladder to success. Now, on the one hand, standing in front of you as your priest, I want to say how completely ridiculous this is. I want to take apart each facet of its idolatrous and self-serving contractual belief system. On an intellectual level, I reject this entirely. It is dangerous to us. But on the other hand, if I'm really, really honest with myself, in the dark of the night, I think I expect the same. Now, I don't go as far as to think that if I tithe to St. Paul's, I will then win the lottery later. <laughs> but there is a subtle pattern of thinking and believing and expecting that if I'm just good, if I pray and I serve, then maybe I won't have success, but at least my life will unfold with a little bit of ease. The Reverend Simpson Duke that I mentioned earlier reflected on this vulnerable truth for herself in a sermon she gave two months after being diagnosed with terminal cancer in her late 40s. After my diagnosis, she said, I discovered the truth, that I'm as hung up on the gospel of success as any other American Christian. Turns out, I fully expected my life would be a progression from one success to the next and only ever up. Turns out, she said, I thought I was exceptional, like so many other American Christians. Sure, there might be a failure or loss here or there to build character, but nothing that would fully detonate my happy successful, well-built life. Our reading from Hebrews today pokes holes through our theologies of prosperity and health and wealth. By faith, by faith, by faith, the writer goes on until he reaches the culmination of not just the section, but really of the entire book, when he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And there, as we stand at the peak of this book, 
a clarity begins to come into focus. This is the outcome of faith. Jesus never preached a gospel of prosperity. He definitely was not preaching a feel-good message in the passage we heard from Luke today, where he said he wants to bring fire to the earth and separate every member of the family against the other. The cross was never and will never be a ladder to success. Jesus never promised ease, and he definitely did not promise wealth. What he did promise was this, a cloud of witnesses, examples of perseverance and resilience through every imaginable trial and triumph. Now, he did not say that we would like the cloud of witnesses that we're in, but he said we wouldn't be alone. What he promised was this, that he would be our guide. He would go first, be the pioneer, that he would show us how to die, so maybe it would make us a little bit less afraid. And then more importantly, he would show us how to live again. He promised us a deeper joy that will wait for us at the end of the race when we join that great cloud. We're really no different from Jesus's first listeners. Like them, we don't know how to interpret the times and the seasons in which we live. And so we hungrily, desperately look for theologies that offer us solutions to our problems. We long for a faith that answers the questions that tear our lives apart at the seams. And today, we meet an exasperated Jesus who says, no, that's not what I came here for. We can do better than that. It won't be easier, but it will be more real and more true. And so let us also lay aside the sin that clings so closely. Let us look again to the one who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us join our prayers with the great cloud of witnesses who has run the race with perseverance by faith. Amen.